Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love Ireland and baseball, you're one of us. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker, and we have a great show for you today. We'll start things off with former Philly scout and author of the book Baseball English, Phil Riccobono. In episode 28 of the show, Phil talked about his time as a scout in Japan and Korea. Later, John Fitzgerald will be here to discuss some of the exciting things happening at the Irish American Baseball Society and Baseball United Foundation, the two organizations he has founded. Let's get things started with Phil Riccobono. Phil, if you wouldn't mind, let's get things started by talking about your book, Baseball English. Basically, this book is designed for anybody who wants to learn English through baseball or is a baseball fan and wants to learn the English that is used in baseball. I think the unique thing about this book is, sure, there's a couple of books out there I've seen on baseball English, but they seem to be intuited. The vocabulary seems to be intuited by the author, where all of the vocabulary and the things that go into my book are basically analyzed, like I just mentioned before, through corpus linguistics. So I did not come up with the vocabulary for this book or the um, listening exercises. These are all authentic things that come from players on the field, talking to umpires, coaches talking to players, players talking to players. And then I've analyzed that to see what are the high frequency terms, what are the low frequency terms, and we go from there. So it's a very basic approach you'd think, but there's a lot of analytics that goes into it. And then also just because those words showed up as low frequency or high frequency words, I bring in the qualitative part and asked experts who are in the field of baseball, okay, do you think these terms need to be in the book? Yes or no. If they're very closely related to baseball, yes. If they're, you know, 100% just used in baseball, like fungo is not used in any other context in English besides in baseball, uh, yes, it will remain in the book. So there's a very academic, scientific, mathematical approach that went into making this book. And you do have your listening exercises in there. You do have your reading exercises. You do have your speaking exercises, like most English language books do, but it's purely baseball-based. And I'm assuming I know the answer to this, but did the idea for this book come from your 10 years as a scout in the Phillies organization? Were you thinking, boy, I wish my players had this information? Yes, and it also was born out of my doctoral work, which was in English for baseball purposes. So this book actually took about 10 years to write. If you want to go back to when I started collecting data, and doing research and all that for the PhD, for the dissertation. But yes, of course, I want to help out the international baseball community as much as possible. Not just players. There's a lot of people in Japan who work in baseball or want to get into working for MLB International Baseball who may have the general English skills, but they have not had access to the inside of baseball and I'm bringing them access to the inside of baseball through my experience and also through playing for peanuts produced and directed by John Fitzgerald, where he followed an independent baseball team around for a whole season. And there you get a glimpse of what it's like to be in the clubhouse on the field, 
on the bus, in the hotels, and you are learning the language that they're using, which is very much a niche special discourse community that people don't have access to it. I didn't have access to it until I got into baseball. John Fitzgerald is the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society. And, of course, the Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. And something that John did a few years back is a great television show, Playing for Peanuts, where he followed around Wally Backman, who was managing for an independent minor league baseball team. And you have used that in your work. Yes. A lot of people, like I said before, have no access to hearing authentic baseball discourse. And what better example than Wally Backman, you know, World Series champ, played with the Mets, whole host of teams, long career, really old school, nitty gritty, grinder type of player and manager who's uh, not sugarcoating anything and using language that is used in baseball, whether it's appropriate or not certain settings this is what's used in baseball so yeah i did use that and there are activities based on the videos with vocabulary with speaking with listening different modalities of english language learning the users of the book really are amused by mr backman and other characters from that documentary that john fitzgerald put together if you're going to introduce english language learners to what it's really like to hear language on the inside of baseball this is a great example playing for peanuts so just quickly getting back to your time as an international scout is that something that's hard for players in japan or korea to adjust when they come over to the united states is there a different formality or informality to the game when you're talking to your manager or when you're talking to your teammates is it a little more loose in the United States, or isn't it? No, I think it's much looser. I've spoken with former MLB players from Japan. One case is a good friend of mine, uh, Yabu-san, who was with the Giants, San Francisco and Oakland, and a longtime Hanshin Tiger. And he said it's like, you know, the coaches are like your friends, where in Japan, you know, it's much more formal. It's getting a little bit looser, but it's still very formal. There's, it's, you know, Japan's a very hierarchical type society where people know their places and you're not fraternizing with the coaches so much as you are in the States where you're going out and having meals with them and beers and golfing and things like that. It's a lot looser, a lot looser, I'd say, in MLB compared to Korea and Japan. And did you find, getting back to your book, Baseball English, that the lingo was hard for the players to pick up when they came over to the United States? Yeah, a lot of them had to rely on interpreters. I'll allude to Yabusan again, who's in the book. There's a section on him. He was mostly in AAA, and there's no interpreters there. So that's where he really had to immerse himself, and he really did learn a language. So, But I don't think everybody can handle that. He's maybe a, a, an anomaly, an outlier, if you will. I'm not sure if everybody could handle that situation the way he did, but he looks back on that and he really feels like this was a time where he grew as a person because he didn't have his family with him. He's staying in so-so motels, hotels, riding on the team bus sometimes. So it was a good experience for him to grow linguistically 
and culturally. And something I'm also not sure a lot of fans realize is just the difference in where the players are going to be playing compared to somewhere like Japan, which has some very, very big cities. And are some of these players coming from big, big cities in Japan that are very, very packed together? And then they're coming over and going to double A and playing in not small towns, but definitely smaller cities that might feel a lot more rural than any part of Japan. With the Japanese, most of the Japanese who are signed are signed to big league contracts, but sometimes guys get sent down. Some guys get picked up off the scrap pile. And like you said, we'll go to uh, double A or even single A. And that's got to be hard. But I've seen you know, the few cases in Japan where guys have done that and they've pulled it off. They are motivated, you know, to make it to the big league and they will try, but that's certainly challenging because at that level, unless they're in a big league club, they're not going to have an interpreter. They're not going to have a handler. Um, and they're going to be out on their own. It's going to be sink or swim. It's going to be immersion. I've gone through it, you know, myself living in Asia. When I got off the plane the first time in Japan, I didn't speak more than uh, uh, konnichiwa and arigato gozaimasu, thank you and hello. Uh, but it's possible. It depends on the player and their mindset and how motivated they are. But that's certainly a challenge. Now, if they study English before, uh, which a lot of them don't because in Japan, you're basically from junior high school playing baseball six days a week year-round, and that continues on until you become a pro. And then you're playing six days a week, not year round, but it's a shorter off season. Their spring training is starting on February 1st. So they basically devoted their whole life to baseball and don't know much else. Even if they did go to university or they were in high school, a lot of times they were exempted from classes to play baseball during the day. Now that's changing a little bit. They're focusing more on education. I know in South Korea, I have friends who played there who didn't attend a class at all in a university, but were handed degrees somehow. <laughs> it's almost like they played college football at Alabama. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even attend the university. This case didn't even attend the university. They were pro baseball players handed university degrees somehow. Pretty funny, but that's changing. And that kind of comes back to an important debate that's going on here in the United States when talking about players going up through the system, youth baseball, high school baseball, travel baseball, all of that good stuff, and whether they should specialize in baseball or play multiple sports. We just recently had the NFC and AFC championship games in football, in the NFL, and all four quarterbacks who were still playing played multiple sports when they were in high school. Pat Mahomes' dad played in Japan for the Yamiuri Giants. He was a pitcher. Absolutely. That's a great point mm -hmm. as well. And I think we're starting to see over here that too much specialization is leading to players having to get early Tommy John surgeries and mm -hmm. maybe some overwork. And if you play multiple sports, that's ending up better for longevity are you finding that that's an issue in Japan, in Korea, that they do specialize too early? Well, they are polished. I mean, I'll give you an example. Every NPB team, NPB is Nippon Professional Baseball, which is the top league 
in Japan. They have club teams that you have to try out for, different age groups. I watched the 15 under the DNA Yokohama Bay Stars team just toy with the American military high school's all-star team. The U.S. military has several bases, military bases in Japan, and each base has a, it's like an American town. They have a high school. It's like going to high school in the States. And they have baseball team and football. That Anyhow, they have an all-star game every year, and they'll put together a team to play a Japanese club. And here's 17, 18-year-old boys from American boys just getting toyed with by these 15-under kids from Japan who are just so polished and experienced. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's competitive to make it to, to even to college or community college to play nowadays. You have to be kind of a, a specialist in baseball. Some guys can maybe pull it off where they play a few different sports, but it's becoming so specialized in America, too, now that if you do want to get the college scholarship or even you have the talent to make it all the way up, maybe you have to be a specialist in one sport. Over in Japan, do you find that they watch a lot of Major League Baseball or do they watch the Japanese players who are in Major League Baseball or is the game itself ubiquitous? Do they watch it a lot over in Japan? Uh, I don't have like ratings on it or numbers, but I know a lot of people watch Major League Baseball there inside of the Japanese baseball, the, the NPB community. Yeah, they love the game. And, and it's kind of convenient to watch it there. Like You can watch it in the morning. Uh, basically, in the morning in Japan is when you'll have your East Coast games. And all the way up until like the early, even mid-afternoon, you could catch the West Coast games. So it's not like the middle of the night. So you could watch. And then, you know, if you have the day off, you could basically watch baseball from morning MLB and then catch the NPB games at night. The real true baseball fans will do that. I know a lot of us scouts will watch baseball around the clock during the season. Of course, people have to work in Japan, but they now with their phones, they get updates or they have the MLB package, which you could buy in MLB.tv and globally in Japan as well. So people are watching baseball sometimes around the clock there. And we mentioned your book, Baseball English. You worked very closely with John Fitzgerald, who is the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, as we mentioned. If somebody is looking to pick up this book, which I think is very interesting for a baseball fan, how can they get a hold of it? They can go to sportsenglish.org. It's on there or it is on Amazon. If you prefer to, to get it on Amazon, it's on Amazon internationally. It's called Baseball English. If you want to look up me as the author, Philip with one L, Rico Bono, R-I-C-C-O-B-O-N-O, if you want to do an author search, but uh, that's how you can pick it up. Phil Rico Bono, thank you so much for being on the Irish Baseball Podcast. My pleasure, Rick. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. That was Phil Riccobono, former Philly scout and author of the book Baseball English. To hear the first part of our conversation, go back and listen to episode 28. Right now, John Fitzgerald, founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and Baseball United Foundation, is here to talk about what's happening with the two organizations. Thanks for having me, Rick. So, of course, John Fitzgerald is the founder of both the Irish American Baseball Society and the Baseball United Foundation. So right now he's going to tell us what's going on with both of those organizations. Thanks, Rick. So with the Irish American Baseball Society, what we've been looking to do for the last two years, while we were not able to have events, we've been kind of putting a plan in place where 
we were going to have committees. So members would be on the committees and they would help us um, debate, help the Baseball United Foundation chart a course as far as, you know, what we're going to do and uh, how we're going to do it. And so last year in 2021, we had a membership committee and that was our first attempt at this. And we met monthly via Zoom. You know, we discussed ideas for bringing in new members and how we could bring value to current members. And it worked out really well. Two of our members went to Irish Heritage Nights at minor league ballparks near them. And, you know, it was good to get out and meet people and, you know, explain what we do and who we are. So uh, we're going to take that a step further this year. And we've actually got four committees. So we've got an administrative committee, and that's going to, in a nutshell, basically oversee the other committees and also oversee the voting for the Butterworth Award, which is our volunteer award for um, a volunteer coach in Ireland. It's named after Clive Butterworth, who uh, was the guy who brought baseball to Ireland in the late 1950s. That's the administrative committee. The historical research committee also, um, it wasn't a committee last year, but we started having these informal Zoom meetings um, with researchers, both in the US and Ireland, who were doing really two things, uh, researching the existence of baseball in Ireland and uncovering some really interesting stuff in that regard and also researching the Irish roots of current and former major leaguers, uh, which is kind of what we touch on when we do our monthly birthday segment. A lot of that information came from the work of Tim Carr, who will be the vice president of the Historical Research Committee. The third committee is the membership committee. That's the, uh, the committee I mentioned earlier. And, you know, the goal of that committee, as I said, is to figure out how we can reach out to Irish American baseball fans or just baseball fans that are interested in baseball, obviously in Ireland, and also how we can deliver more value to our members. You know, what the members want to see, what the members want to do, how can we meet them there? And then the fourth and final committee is the organizational outreach committee. Basically that's similar to what the membership committee is doing, reaching out to individual people. The organizational outreach committee is reaching out to individual organizations, you know, an Irish American organization, a baseball organization, uh, historical research, you know, um, basically if there's an organization that touches on baseball or Ireland and we can find a way to work with them to get the word out about the Irish American Baseball Society and also help them, then that's what we're going to do. So we're pretty excited. We're going from one committee uh, and some uh, ad hoc uh, bi-monthly historical meetings that we had last year to a more regular place where members can meet and all members can come to all of these meetings. You know, we're going to have a committee that's going to kind of put the meetings together and, and run the meetings, but any member of the Irish American Baseball Society that wants to attend a meeting is more than welcome to do so. And as far as the Baseball United Foundation, we're pretty excited. We actually just announced two new members that are joining our board of directors. Dr. Kat Williams, who is a um, university uh, history professor. She's an author. Uh, she's very involved in the world of women's baseball. Also, Patrick Winters. Patrick is a, uh, he's a guru of organizational competency. And um, both Patrick and Kat are Irish American Baseball Society members. So that's how they found out about the Baseball United Foundation. They were excited both uh, to help. We're excited to work with them. You know, we think Kat can really bring us to a new level as far as our international impact and how we deliver our programs uh, to an international audience to bring baseball to more kids. And Patrick, you know, coming from a background of helping organizations become more operationally competent, and um, he's actually written, I don't even know how long it is, maybe a hundred page report on... Um, how the Baseball United Foundation can continue to grow and uh, maximize its impact. So, you know, he, he did that 
pro bono. He, he did it as a favor to us. And, and we took one look at it and we asked him, you know, would you like to be more involved and join the organization? And, uh, and he said, yes. So, uh, so we're, we're really excited to have both of them on board. I sort of feel that when the pandemic hit, a bunch of organizations had to make a decision and some sat back and waited to see what was going to happen. And one of the reasons that I think we're in such a good place was instead of sitting back and seeing what happened, you just kept trucking along. And we've continued to try to build the Irish American Baseball Society and Baseball United Foundation right through it because we knew it wasn't going to last forever. And hopefully it doesn't last forever. And coming back on the other end of this thing, much stronger than we were even going into it. Yeah, that's exactly right. When the pandemic hit, we were just getting ready to start. Uh, well, Baseball United had a, a youth baseball program in New York. We were growing. The Irish American Baseball Society was, I think we had about 40 members. Uh, our social media presence wasn't that big, but but we knew we could do events and 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 we were planning on doing that. And uh, pandemic hit, and we were just you know, kind of sitting there thinking, do we put this on hold or do we just keep going? I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of the digital stuff that we've done on Zoom, it's allowed us to reach out and see more people. I mean, if, if I personally was out there in 2020 doing in-person events with people. I'm not so sure that I would have met as many people as I've met. I don't know if you and I would have met. Um, we have historical researchers in Ireland. I probably wouldn't have had the time to meet them on a Zoom and kind of discuss exactly how we might help their research and how their research might impact the overall understanding of the Irish impact on baseball. You know, obviously we would have preferred to be doing events, but you know, there were opportunities that we were able to take advantage of to just kind of, you know, not sit still and, you know, really try to do what we could to reach more people. And, you know, I think people are ready to go and, and hopefully um, we can make that happen this year. And, you know, I think um, there's just a rich history of the Irish impact on baseball. And we're doing a lot of stuff in Ireland even now with youth baseball. Things are happening and there's a lot of older stuff to uncover and we're actively researching it. And so, and, you know, this podcast is a perfect example of that. You know, we're, we're mining the old stuff and trying to find out more about it. And we're, uh, we're reaching out and trying to do more stuff today and in the future. So we'll just keep going. Yeah, I definitely think the podcast now, everybody has Zoom. Everybody has Skype. So we're talking to people all over the world. And that's probably something that would have been harder to do just two years ago. So life gives you lemons, you know what I'm saying? So John Fitzgerald, thank you for being back on the show always great to have you here. Thanks again, Rick. For Phil Riccobono, former Philly scout and author of the book Baseball English, and John Fitzgerald, founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and Baseball United Foundation, I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 29 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. You've been listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. And remember, there's no place like home.